Welcome to futureofuschinatrade.com. I'm Molly Castellazzo. I recently spoke with Gil Kaplan, who is a partner at the Washington, D.C. law firm King & Spalding in the International Trade Practice Group. Gil's practice focuses on international trade cases and trade policy issues. He has represented clients in a wide range of cases on anti-dumping, countervailing duties, Section 337, and other trade matters. He also advises clients on trade policy and legislative matters, as well as trade negotiations, such as those involving the WTO. We chatted by phone about the size of the distortion caused by an undervalued RMB, which Gill called devastating for particular industries in the United States. He explained how the United States could apply existing countervailing duty laws to U.S. imports of Chinese-made products, and what that would mean for U.S. manufacturers. Now, to my conversation with Gil. If you wouldn't mind giving a bit of background um, on yourself and, and how you've been involved in China trade issues and sort of an introduction into your perspective on, on the China currency policy issue. with the U.S. Department of Commerce, would they then go to the World Trade Organization or would they simply impose countervailing duties? No, they don't have to go to the World Trade Organization because the way uh, the anti-dumping and the countervailing duty statute works, the U.S. government, and in fact many other governments all around the world, apply those statutes themselves as authorized under the WTO. So... The U.S. government has the authority to look at whether China or any country, for that matter, is subsidizing its industry. And if they conclude it's subsidizing its industry, they can put on duties to offset the amount of subsidization. Okay. So uh, that, that does not require going to the WTO. Okay. And, and that raises a question that I wanted to ask you. 
and and sort of the stock question is how undervalued is is China's currency. But really, what I would like to know is, you know, what's the size then of the distortion? I mean, how much are we talking about in terms of the U.S. trade deficit or or the bilateral trade deficit overall? Well, let me let me just say that my my knowledge and experience is more directed to particular industries. Okay. If you look at the paper industry, the steel industry, uh, the aluminum industry. The the effect of very low price Chinese imports is is absolutely devastating, and their ability to penetrate our market very very quickly, and markets in other parts of the world where. Uh, their currency undervaluation as a factor is, is, is unprecedented, really, in the history of trade. Uh, just by way of example, in the in the pipe cases, they, they they went to hundreds of thousands of tons of imports in a very very short period of time after the uh, or before the filing of our, our trade case, which was put a stop to that. But you see that in industry after industry. They would not be able to do that without the currency undervaluation. The other effect of currency undervaluation is that if you're a U.S. company deciding where to put a factory, it, it looks a lot cheaper because of the artificially low yuan to put a factory in China. So it has an enormous effect on the offshoring of U.S. industry. Uh, people talk about wages and and they may have an effect, uh, but the currency undervaluation is a much bigger driver in terms of moving people offshore uh, to put up manufacturing plants in China. Uh, but I can get back to your question. I mean, there have been a number of studies of the effect of currency undervaluation, um, and, uh, you know, we're not an economic analysis shop. I'm a trade lawyer, but there, there have been a lot of studies about this, and, and it's pretty clear that the effect of the currency undervaluation on an economy-wide basis is, is you know, really just overwhelming. Um, one study that was done by the Economic Policy Institute uh, in Washington, you know, found that the effect of the uh, uh, undervaluation on the trade deficit you know, it depends a little bit how you how you look at it. Whether you just look at China, whether you look at other currencies that are in effect tied to the yuan, but you know, it's probably 150 billion dollars a year at least, mm -hmm. which which is very very significant. So, so in terms of both the effects on what what the U.S. imports from China, as well as the effects on, you know, U.S. companies' decisions to locate factories in China. Is it, so, so in terms of, in terms of their decision to locate factories there, do you, do you think that without China's currency manipulation, they would say, no, in fact, there's not a, a cost basis for locating factories there? I think it would have an enormous impact. I okay. think the Chinese yuan were freely floating and appreciated by 30% or something like that, it would have an enormous impact on whether U.S. and other Western countries, companies, put, put plants in China. Uh, you know, the effect on, it's really the same on the euro, 
uh, and, and other, you know, currencies outside China, uh, the, the, the yuan is severely undervalued. So all these uh, companies in these countries uh, where, you know, that don't use yuan or other, other uh, satellite currencies are really being forced to move to China because they're, they're creating a artificially low-cost uh, production area. Now, I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I've spoken with some of the big U.S.-based uh, companies that have gone to China, Intel, um, uh, Caterpillar, BP, and, and they all talked about direct land grants or capital subsidies or tax deferrals as really the reasons behind their decision to locate in China. So, so what are like if you wouldn't mind, Gil? What's what's the sort of the mechan the the economics or the mechanics behind how the undervalued currency makes it less expensive to locate a factory in China? Well, uh, you know, I can't talk about any particular company. Sure. But let me just say that yes, it's absolutely true that you know low cost land. Or free land, low-cost low energy, uh, other subsidies are, are absolutely critical to these decisions. But I view the currency as kind of an accelerant of all that. It's like if you're going to get free land, and then you're going to get uh, electricity, and then you're going to get you know tax breaks and low-interest loans, and then in addition, you're you're getting a forty percent discount on everything you have to buy with U.S. dollars, and every a dollar of wages you're getting a 40% discount on, that's an enormous cost effect. So, so the way it works is if you pay $10 here for something, you can pay 40% less in China. Uh, even assuming the costs were the same, you can pay 40% less in China to get to get whatever you want to do, like build a plant or, or hire workers, even putting aside the differences in wages. You have a forty percent more buying power with your dollar because the yuan is is, is significantly undervalued. So it's, it's I view it kind of like an accelerant. You've got all these other incentives, perhaps, to move outside the United States. Less environmental protection, these low cost loans, uh, free land, free electricity, and then in addition, everything else. They tell you, oh, by the way, everything you're going to buy here, you'll get a forty percent discount on it. it it's an Right. Okay. I see. And so, so you said putting aside differences in wages, and you also in the the letter you wrote to the Wall Street Journal um, at the end of September, you said you know China is not a better place to manufacture. Now, if 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 China weren't if China's if the currency weren't undervalued, if they weren't giving away all of these other subsidies and, and freebies that you've talked about, would would wages still be lower, and would it not still be a less expensive place to locate a, a, a factory? Well, here's the here's the thing on that. There's almost nothing that the United States 
makes will make in the foreseeable future where wages are a significant part of the cost base. Okay. For most industries, wages are maybe 5% of the cost, if that, because there's been so much uh, automation, there's been so much productivity enhancement that, that the labor costs are a very, very small part of almost everything we make in the United States. We don't have any industries where we've got you know, thousands of people, you know, walking around, you know, making bricks by hand or something like that. We've lost those industries long before China came on the scene. Right. So, say, say you say that the, you know, average uh, semiconductor plant or steel plant uh, or paper plant has wages of, you know, 5 to 10% of the overall cost. Well, with those kinds of very low labor uh, cost percentage and the overall cost of production, it doesn't make sense to move an entire factory to China unless there are a lot of other incentives. I see. Okay. So, do you see, I mean, if, what's, what's the solution in your mind? Is the solution that the U.S. Department of Commerce actually imposes countervailing duties, or is it a, a I mean, is it a legislative solution? Is it a, a WTO solution? How would you, essentially, how would you go about affecting an appreciation of the RMB? Or, if that's not going to happen, how would you sort of mitigate the, the, neg the, the damages caused by a, an undervalued um, RMB? Well, I think the correct way to do it is to apply the countervailing duty law to China. That's an incremental step-by-step -step process that would do both of those things you just said. Uh, in the short term, if you were a manufacturer of a product in the United States and you were being harmed by low-priced imports, that we're benefiting from the currency undervaluation. You file a countervailing duty case, say, on chairs from China. I'm looking at a chair, so that came to mind. What, what, what would the effect of that be? Well, if you could countervail the currency, you would have an additional duty over and above whatever other subsidies there may be. Say it's 30% additional duty. So you would be able to trade fairly within the United States and deal with the currency undervaluation. But also... This would be a tremendous step-by-step uh, -step message to China that they had to change their ways because the case on chairs from China would probably affect, you know, 0.00001% of trade from China. They would realize that over time more and more of these cases would be filed and they've got to start appreciating the value of yuan. Uh, so, you know, it won't the trade war right away, but it would start to send the message that this behavior is going to have to change. And there's no reason China can't change it. They should change it. Most economists think, you know, it has harms of other sorts, even to China. But right. uh, this would be the way to do it. I don't think going to the WTO is the right solution because the WTO has all kinds of other issues and priorities, and it's, it's really not the right place to deal with this, I don't think. I think the U.S. countervailing duty laws is the right way, right way to deal with it. Okay. But, but you said that the Department of Commerce has declined to, 
to impose duties under the countervailing duties laws? What what's the yeah. roadblock? Or it, I mean, so so how do we get past that? Well, I mean, I think there are two two or three ways to get past that. I think the legal basis that they have used not to apply the countervailing duty law is incorrect, and we actually have sued them in the Court of International Trade in New York which is the court of jurisdiction over the Department of Commerce, asking them to overturn that decision. So that, that might be one way. Secondly, maybe they'll make a policy decision to change their mind by themselves. I think the decision they made is not legally justified, and an agency can change its mind uh, if, if, they're, if it explains the reason for doing so. So hopefully we could get them to change their minds. Uh, thirdly, the... Um, uh, bill in Congress would make it more likely, the bill Senator Schumer and others have introduced, would make it more likely that the Department of Commerce would find uh, the undervaluation of the currency to be a countervailable subsidy. And fourthly, I think this will be an issue in the presidential election. Um, uh, Mitt Romney has already said that he thinks we have to be uh, much more assertive on the currency issue and apply the countervailing duty law to China on currency. And, and I, I think that, you know, as we look at this issue in the election, I, I think hopefully that will cause people to rethink this position. Okay. What, if, if you were a betting man, what, what's your outlook that, that um, the Department of Commerce would, will in fact... Um, apply the the countervailing duties laws. Well, I think they will. Well, they, well, the way you said that is interesting. You know, for years they didn't even apply the countervailing duty law to China, and then uh, you know we got them to overturn that policy, which had been a policy you know in existence for twenty five or thirty years. But now they're applying the countervailing duty law to China. I think uh, though they've declined to apply the countervailing duty law to currency undervaluation. Okay. I think they will make a change on that at some point. Okay, okay. Well, Gil, I, I, I've asked all of the questions that I had planned to ask you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you, you think needs to be mentioned? Well, I, I think it's important in thinking about this debate not only to look at the macroeconomic effects and the overall effect of the trade deficit, but, you know, if you are a company in this country trying to manufacture things, it's really amazing that any companies have been able to continue doing that, given the 40% subsidy on every single sale given by the Chinese government to Chinese exporters. I mean, that's, to me, where the real, you know, pedal hits the metal, because these are people trying to make a living, trying to manufacture things here, trying to be worldwide competitive, and the effect of this undervaluation is, is, is kind of overwhelming, not only in the U.S. market, but also in terms of their ability to sell in China and in any third market, you know, in Brazil or anywhere else where they compete with the Chinese. So right. It's just unbelievable that we're allowing this to continue. And, and doing nothing but trying to jawbone it, which has been shown not to work. Right. Well, and, and that's why, to me, your perspective is so interesting, because it is a very, 
you know, it, it does look at sort of the micro perspective. How are U.S. manufacturers, U.S. businesses really affected by by China's policy? Yeah, that that's where I get involved and, in, you know, sort of my area of expertise. And, and I, I, I just see it every day, and it, it, it's really a big problem that has got to be solved. 